Welcome to Rex Factor! This week, Elk Giva of Northampton. With your hosts, Graham Duke and Ali Hood. Hello! Oh, that was tough to get through that intro. Yeah, <laughs> a cu- couple of um, takes of that one. So we are, uh, well, we are Rex Factor. Hello and Hello. welcome to it. Yeah. And we are reviewing all the Queen and Prince consorts from Elswith, of England, from Elswith to Prince Philip. And today, a bit of a surprise, mm. uh, we're doing Elf Giver of Northampton. Have we have we encountered her before? Encountered her in the Eldgith episode, and we encountered her with Emma of Normandy. She's technically not really a consort mm. in terms of being the official recognised consort of the King of England, mm. and yet, surprisingly, she is married to the King of England at the time that he is the King of England. That sounds like a fantastic uh, quiz question. <laughs> yeah. uh, I suppose I have four words for you. What do you mean? So, basically, Canute yeah. is married to Emma of Normandy and Elfgiva of Northampton yeah. at the same time. Because he never formally divorced her? Yeah. And Emma is officially the queen, consort. Right. And yet, being married to the king, it felt like she was quite a relevant story and she was really Emma's big rival in the succession battle with the sons after Canute yeah. died. I mean, if she, as she was married to the king, regardless of being an official queen... Mm. That is definitely within our remit, isn't it? Uh, if you want to get in touch with us, you can find us on Twitter and Instagram at Rex Factor Pod. Like and join in the discussions on the Rex Factor Podcast Facebook page. Email RexFactorPodcast at Hotmail.com. And if you want to uh, listen to more mm. of our chat, you can donate monthly to join the Privy Chamber and you get bonus content and help us to keep on going. And also remember to send in your hashtag consult cards for an image of this episode <laughs> to replace the absence of a Heritage Limited cards for the consorts. Yes. So, biography. Yeah. She's probably born in about 990. We right. don't know exactly, yep. but Obviously. as ever, we're just sort of assuming. And she is the daughter of Elfhelm, Eldman of York, and Wolfren. Not that Wolfren. Oh, I was ready to display such knowledge then. Well, keep that knowledge on standby because okay. it's not okay. going to be irrelevant. The epithet of Northampton probably reflects that she's got uh, notable land holdings in the area. Right. This theme of powerful yeah. mercy and women. Yeah. Very much the case here. And as I said, she's Canute's first wife, but not his consort, even though she was married to him at the time that he is king. <laughs> uh, but she proves to be basically Emma's main antagonist in the succession crisis, so she's a very prominent figure, and even though she's not mentioned by name in Emma's history, the encomium... Oh, yeah. It's yeah. clear that she is actually... Well, that says a lot in itself, doesn't it? Clear that she's a proper rival. Now, the knowledge that you had on standby when I said Wolfren... Wolverhampton. Wolverhampton, indeed. This is uh, Elfgiver's grandmother. Uh, the Wolverhampton... Wolverhampton, Wolverhampton Wolfren is her grandmother, so okay. her mother happens to have the same name. Okay. Uh, so her grandmother, Wolfren, as you said, is the founder of Wolverhampton, mm-hmm. very rich and notable woman who's the matriarch of this powerful Mercian family during the reign of Ethelred the Unready. Mm. Uh, her uncle, Wolfren's oldest son, is a chap called Wolfric Spot. Ah, uh, we've come across him, haven't we? Uh, he was a prominent thane under Ethelred in the 990s and founded Burton Abbey. But her father, Elfhelm, is even more powerful, ultimately, becoming the Earldman of York, or southern Northumbria, in 994. Mm-hmm. So he's probably the second most senior Earldman at Ethelred's court. Oh, right. And there are only about three at this point. So Because York is so important at the yeah. time. Mm. So he's a very prominent uh, individual. So Elfgiver, as we can imagine, is going to have... a plenty of land mm-hmm. in her own right she's mm. from a very powerful family she's got two brothers Wolfia and Ufgat who are also quite prominent under Ethelred right okay so she's set uh, to be quite a powerful woman indeed now she is cousins with Eldgith the consort of Edmund Ironsides who we did a couple of episodes ago okay Eldgith uh, gets a powerful marriage to a chap called Sigurfuth who is one of the major thanes of the seven boroughs Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. She looked up yeah. to the Beastie Boys, along with uh, his brother Morka, and they're associates of Wolfric Spot. So we see that all of this powerful me- Mercian people 
mm. getting married together. But it is with the Vikings that their downfall comes. From 991 onwards with the Battle of Molden, we have the resumption of Viking raids increasingly damaging, followed by increasingly large Danegeld payments, mm. as you said, giving wasps jammed yeah. to go away. Now, in about 1005-1006, there's something of a palace revolution at Ethelred's court, perhaps a sense that their efforts to deal with the Viking threat had failed, mm. and there's a need for change. Yeah, right. Okay, they don't know what to do about these raids. Many notable figures are removed from power, and new men come to the fore in their place, the most mm. notorious of whom is Edric Striona. Oh, yes. Um, yeah, Lord of the Rings man. Big old baddie that we mm. uh, discussed with Eldgith, a notorious villainous chap, becomes something of a favourite of Ethelred and married one of his daughters. Levi Roach speculates he may early on have had patronage from Emma of Normandy mm. uh, because they emerged at about the same time because Emma married Ethelred in 1002, Palace Revolutions when he comes to the war, 1004, oh, right. 1006. Yeah. And Edric comes to play quite a big role in Elfgiver's life because right. one of the victims of the Palace coup is her father, Elfhelm. Right, okay. This is what we hear from John of Worcester. Is he one of the um, weird ones? John of Worcester? Yeah. He is one of our medieval historians. Okay, Adding good. colour yeah, to the bare bones of the Anglo-Saxon Chronicle. <laughs> the crafty and treacherous Edric Striona, plotting to deceive the noble elderman Elfhelm, prepared a great feast for him at Shrewsbury, at which, when he came as a guest, Edric greeted him as if he were an intimate friend. But on the third or fourth day of the feast, when an ambush had been prepared, he took him into the wood to hunt. When all were busy with the hunt, one Godwin Portand, a Shrewsbury butcher whom Edric had dazzled long before with great gifts and many promises so that he might perpetrate the crime, suddenly leapt out from the ambush and execrably slew the Elderman Elfhelm. After a short space of time, his sons Wolfhir and Ufgat were blinded at King Ethelred's command at Cookham, where he himself was then staying. When you said the third or fourth, yes. I thought you were going to say course, not <laughs> yeah, day. day. Why did he string it out? It's a big feast, isn't it? He could have it? saved himself some money if he'd done it on the, yeah. well, on arrival, really. Yeah, just poison the entree. Yeah. They don't think about it, Graham. Indeed. They just burn places down. But suddenly, her father has been murdered, mm. and her two brothers have been blinded and... Yeah, obviously, therefore, also murdered. Yeah. Because they don't have a particularly subtle way of doing it. Yes, yes, red hot poker job. Uh, So she's going to leg it. Well, her life is not in imminent danger. Really? I'd have thought I'd have been petrified. Oh, well, I'm sure she would have been petrified. Um, But the most powerful northern lords have been taken out. Oh, because she's not a threat because she's a woman? Yeah. Oh, right, I see. Um, It's an interesting one. If Emma was patronising, was a patron of... Edric Striona, mm. and he's behind all of this. Mm. It's almost like an opening salvo. Oh, first shot, or yeah. Or a bit of backgroundy stuff. Not intentional on Emma's part, but perhaps mm. for maybe there's a grudge that is born oh, out of this. That's interesting, yeah. Mm-hmm. As a result of all of this, Ethelred is not particularly popular mm. with these powerful North Midlands northern families, mm-hmm. having taken out all of their chaps. And it doesn't actually help stop the Viking invasions. No. And it all comes to uh, a bit of a head in 1013 when Sven Forkbeard, king of Denmark, invades. Yeah. And he goes to the north, the old Dane law where the Vikings used to be strong, establishes his catap- uh, his, catapul- his mm. capital at Gainsborough. Mm-hmm. And by Christmas is acknowledged king of all England and Ethelred and Emma go off into exile in Normandy. Now, the Dane law um, has only really been under the southern English control since about 954, but it still retained a sort of distinct cultural and political identity. And it's likely that many people there are still actually quite sympathetic to Danish rule. Oh, right. Um, and this, of course, is the place that's been hardest hit by the palace revolutions. The Ethelred oh, isn't popular yeah. there. They're already predisposed to have a certain sympathy towards yeah. Sven yeah. Fortbeard goes there because he knows that that's an area yeah. that he's going to find more sympathy more support definitely he's laid the ground for it so he's exploiting the divisions head straights there um when he comes south apparently he didn't allow his soldiers to do any ravaging and pillaging until they crossed watling street hmm. they're the ones that are letting us be here they're on our side yeah the submission that he gets uh, in mercia and northumbria seems to have been led by sigafoth and morka so sigafoth is a chap married to elgith right yep first cousin of elfgiver so we presume that they're all kind of together Mm -hmm. so they lead the submission 
and to cement the loyalty of Northern England, probably, again, arranged by Sigurd the Mortar, Sven Forkbeard marries his son, who is with him, Canute, to a prominent Northern lady. Right. Elfgiver of Northampton. Yeah. Okay. Right. So, yeah, so so it, it sort of explains to me now how more, how Canute ended up marrying someone from the North. It seemed like quite a minor marriage to... Mm then eventually marrying Emma. Yes, because initially, Canute at this point is just a prince, and he's not yeah. actually even Sven's oldest son. He's the second son, <laughs> but he's the one who's over there. Okay, so that's she is a she is a legitimate wife of the king then. Well, the king's son at this point, because Sven oh, Fortbeard yeah. is the king. Yeah. Things now looking up for her, but unfortunately, she's due for a second downfall. Mm. Sven Fortbeard dies just a few weeks later, February oh, ten fourteen. Yeah. 14. yeah. And Ethelred is restored to power on the proviso that he will rule better and treat his nobles better and let bygones be bygones about any mm-hmm. disputes that they've had. Canute is forced to retreat to Denmark, where mm-hmm. he's going to try and get some more troops. Right. And despite all of his promises, Ethelred does actually take action against some of the nobles. Edric Striona, obviously, has Sigurfuth and Morka murdered at a council meeting. Mm. And Eldgith, Sigurfuth's widow... Elfgiver's mm-hmm. cousin is imprisoned. Has that ever happened at any of your council meetings? Not that I can recall. No, because when I was working with you at the council, we never had two murders at a council meeting. No. <laughs> we had a lot of meetings. <laughs> <laughs> now, in terms of what Elfgiver herself is doing at this point, we don't entirely know, but she does seem to have been left behind by Canute. She doesn't go mm. to Denmark. Oh, right. um, she, probably, she was probably pregnant when he left, actually. Hang on, left behind? She Again, she's prime target. Well, this time maybe she she would be because she has a child, a boy called Sven, i.e. after Canute's mm-hmm. father, of course. So probably she's under the protection of her family in the North Midlands. Right. Um, but following their deaths and Ethelred's reprisals, either the family think, you know what, we should probably try and make friends here mm. before they come and kill us. Maybe we need to encourage the wife of oh, the uh, rival king to yeah. maybe... Pop okay. off. Alternatively, she may just have thought, actually, I'm not really safe here. I'd have been on the first boat. Well, that is what she does, and she takes with her Sven mm-hmm. and Sven. <laughs> Why do everyone? Does anyone have one name that they choose in life and just keep inflicting it on the next generation? The next generation? Well, it's to honour the father, <sighs> who she seems to have brought with her. Okay, so she brings Sven's body back to Denmark. Oh yeah, of course he's dead. Yeah. yeah. So she brings the body of Sven Forkbeard, as well as her baby son, Sven, to Denmark uh, to see Canute. He is raising an army to go back to England and invade. And he seems to have been pleased to see her because they have another child, Harold. This this marriage is getting more and more legitimate, but he's not quite king yet. Mm. And in 1015, Canute does return to England and sets about doing some conquering. Mm-hmm. Now, an interesting uh, family development at this point, almost getting a little bit Wars of the Rosy. Mm. Rosy? Wars of the Roses-y. <laughs> Wars of the Rosy. Oh, brilliant. Ah, canal-based I was just thinking that, yeah. yeah. And so at about the same time as this, Edmund Ironside, the eldest son of Ethelred the Unready, rescues and marries Eldgith. Oh, yeah, yeah, I remember that now, yeah. So as Elfgiver and Eldgith are cousins, that makes Canute and Edmund Ironside sort of cousins-in-law. Yeah. So these two sort of rival princes yeah they're actually around the same christmas table yeah mm, tricky so canute uh, does eventually become king of all england um ethelred died in 1016 edmund ironside fought a series of skirmishes um eventually they split the kingdom but edmund dies a few weeks later quite conveniently yeah so canute becomes king of all england in 1016 and then in 1017 he is crowned king and marries emma of normandy oh just at the so he's not crowned, but he is king. Yeah, so he's effectively crowned with her. Yeah. In 1017. Emma was the consort of Ethelred the Unready. Yeah. Um, and is from Normandy, so she's the previous queen. So in Canute's mind, this is a very prestigious marriage. It's the former queen of the English, which should reconcile them to his rule. Mm. And also she is the uh, sister of the Duke of Normandy, which hopefully should prevent him from... Mm. invading on behalf of her sons by Ethelred. It is an incredible statement, isn't it? He's mm. fully legitimising himself with it. Yeah. Uh, Emma apparently demanded that Canute 
prioritise her sons over any others, which indicates that she's fully aware of Elf Giva and saw her as relevant enough that she had to make mm. such provisos. In, in which is his wife. Well, I mean, that's quite relevant, <laughs> isn't it? It's, I just don't understand why anyone's falling for this nonsense. It is his wife. <laughs> so in the encomium, uh, it describes the negotiations, and uh, it says, She, i.e. Emma, refused ever to become the bride of Canute unless he would affirm to her by oath that he would never set up the son of any wife other than herself to rule after him, if it happened that God should give her a son by him. For she had information that the king had sons by some other woman. She had information. Mm. <laughs> it's actually right there. Yeah, she's there. I mean, there's... I mean, we just told you about this. Mm. Yes, I remember something. <laughs> they must have met. Have it's, they? it's possible. It's entirely possible. Wow. Yeah. Awkward. Yeah. Now, we've seen um, from previous episodes with the Saxon consorts that the Saxon kings could be pretty notoriously serial monogamists. Mm-hmm. It's very easy with marriage practices that aren't always done in a church. It's not seen as sort of sacrosanct in the church's eyes. Mm. So it's easy for a king to sort of drop one wife mm. and take another whenever it becomes prudent. Mm. It's harder to leave an electricity company. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and they send you the forlorn emails afterwards. Please come yeah. back. <laughs> However, uh, Canute, as uh, Frank Stenton said, ostentatiously disregarded conventions mm. in this matter. He just simply didn't bother to repudiate Elfgiver. He just married Emma. Maybe he sees one as a Christian ceremony, the other one as an admin. Yeah, so when you were asking sort of how he could get away with this, technically he would have married Elfgiva by what's known as a hand-fasting ceremony, so it's a pagan Mm. uh, Mm. ritual, Um, whereas Emma is married in a church. Yeah. Maybe he actually sees the hand-fasting one as the more genuine, because it's his his Danish side. It's almost like the official mistress for the French kings. Yeah, or the the fact that you maybe it's again that symbol that he can have be king of two people, mm. the the Anglo-Saxon and the Danish. So it's it is bigamy, really. Pauline yeah. Stafford uh, said that we should consider them as simultaneous wives, but ones that had different spheres of influence. Yeah, yeah, that's how definitely how I was viewing it. Mm. So she's not sent into obscurity. She's not sent off to a nunnery. Um, she's probably in England initially. Um, may have been present at court, in which case, as you said, they, she and Emma would have mm. perhaps not been best buddies, but would have been aware of each yeah. other, yeah. staring across the uh, at the table. Alternatively, it's possible that she might have been sent to act as a sort of virtual consort in uh, in Mercia, in Northumbria, in the north, where mm. she's got much more appeal and power, and she's going to help Knut really reconcile sensible. to the north, yeah. whereas Emma is very much based in Winchester, in the south, in Wessex. Yeah. So, two wives for different areas yeah however it might have been a bit awkward mm. and can you might have been getting a few choice words from emma about this arrangement yeah i for some reason i she's the um party in this that i think isn't having a nice time about it i feel like elkiva was like and i can just stay here that's yeah. fine <laughs> yeah okay whatever <laughs> whereas emma would have been really wanting to get this sorted out yeah emma's sitting down with the local bishop saying there are three people in this marriage <laughs> <laughs> now in 1029 canute's a vassal ruler of norway because canute's got this north sea empire yeah. so he's got a chap who's effectively ruling norway on his behalf harkon ericsson uh harkon unfortunately is lost at sea Oh, now the previous rival king of Norway Olaf Haraldsson returns but is killed in the battle of Stiklestad in 1030 so Canute sees this as a chance to have more direct rule over mm. Norway so he sends Sven mm. eldest son by Elfgiver to go and be king of Norway on his behalf so he's recognising oh yeah but Sven is only 14 years old so mm. he doesn't send Sven alone he sends Sven with Elfgiver. Huh. And she thus acts effectively as regent for Norway. Or at the very least, least queen mother, so she needs more points there. Uh, well, I mean, I think she is basically recognised that she's the one in charge. So basically she goes off huh. and rules Norway. Well, could, listening to this from this angle, <laughs> before she was this cast off, yeah. but actually it's not at all the case. No. 
Wow. So off they go. Um, unfortunately, it doesn't go terribly well for Elfgiver and Sven. It's a period of growing Norwegian nationalism, particularly around the cult of the dead Olaf Haraldsson. The regency proves very unpopular. There's heavy taxation and sort of Danish practices that the Norse don't particularly like. Um, despite defeating a son of Olaf Tryggvason in mm. 1033, um, they ultimately come a cropper in the face of Magnus, the son of Olaf Haraldsson. They're forced out of Tron time in 1033, and then in 1035 have to abandon Norway altogether. Hmm. And they've right. lost the country. That's gonna be, that would be an interesting area of war to study. Mm. All the disparate kingdoms for me. Yeah. And they take refuge in Denmark with Hartha Knut. Oh, yeah. Emma's son by Knut. Yeah. So we've got Sven and Hartha Knut, the half-brothers. Yeah. Palling it up in Denmark. But with, with the mother? With Elfgiver. With Elfgiver. I mean, I guess that, you know, if they've been forced out of Norway, they don't yeah. have anywhere else to go. And One of Emma's sons takes them in. Yeah. I thought, I mean, she, later in this story, she would do anything to have him killed. Well, so what happens next? Canute dies just a few weeks later. Right. And unfortunately, Sven, perhaps from wounds in battle or maybe just illness, they're not a very long-lived uh family, Canute's family, uh, Sven himself dies not too long oh after Canute. Oh, God. So at this point, Elfgiver is... Stuck. Stuck yeah. in Denmark. Yeah. Son's dead. Husband's dead. Yeah. It's not looking great. Yeah. Again, she's thinking, can I just stay here? <laughs> However, there is a succession crisis. Many people would have assumed that Emma's son, Hartha Canute, is going to be heir to England and Denmark. Mm-hmm. But because Elfgiver and Sven have been kicked out of Norway... Mm. Arthur Canute now has to deal with that. He's at war with Magnus oh, right. in Norway, so yeah. Arthur Canute can't come back to claim the throne in England. Yeah, and she has a second son, Elfgiver, which is Harold Harefoot. Yeah, and he is in England, mm-hmm. and he seems to have been uh, brought up in England. With Sven's death, he is the eldest son of Canute. He's probably been brought up in the North Midlands, so he's got significant support, basically north of the Thames, thanks to her family links and he is recognized king by those in the north right okay so that's the vision again along the old the old line along the old line Mm. um he deprives emma of the treasury in winchester so he acts quickly Mm. henry the first style yeah yeah Uh, but the archbishop of canterbury refuses to crown him as king so they try to find a compromise. The Wheatan, the Parliament, meet at Oxford, which is sort of middle ground between hmm. Wessex and uh, Mercia, and they agree to split the kingdom. So Harold, Elfgiver's son, will act as governor for Harthacanute, hmm. effectively ruling the north, whilst Emma will protect Harthacanute's interest in Wessex. Okay. Now, it's not quite clear when exactly, but at some point, Elfgiver of Northampton comes back to England. Hmm. Uh, because after Sven's death, um, so either late 1035 or early 1036, mm-hmm. she comes back to try and help Harold press his claim to the English throne. So it's pretty ironic, obviously, that she was taken in by Arthur Canute. Mm. And because yeah. of her failings in Norway, yeah, he, she's then able to shaft him a bit. And <laughs> Yeah, I can't believe that's the bit of the story that I can't believe that, mm. you know, later on they're going to do this to each other. So she, back in England, and sets about cajoling and bribing leading nobles to pledge their support to her and to Harold mm. instead of Emma and Hartha Canute. And they are certainly helped by Hartha Canute's absence because the longer that he's away, the more people mm. think, well, I mean, realistically, yeah. this guy's here and doing the job. <laughs> <laughs> that's, uh, that's how I've retained all of my jobs in my life. Ease. <laughs> so in 1036, Emma grew desperate and turned to her sons in Normandy, the ones by her mm. first match to... Uh, Ethelred the Unready. Oh yeah, this is when she's at her lowest ebb. Yeah, and they don't have any support in England, and indeed her chief ally, uh, the Elderman of Wessex, Godwin, switches sides mm, to choose Elfgiver and Harold. Um, Alfred, her second son, is captured by Godwin, turned over to Harold, and then he's blinded and killed. Horrible. Mm. So, uh, her... And also an interesting reverse of what happened to Elfgiver's brothers. Oh yeah. Possibly at hands of people linked to Emma has now happened to Emma's son. Oh, so that of people linked to that opening salvo is like this is her repaying the debt. Yeah, it may be coincidence. Neither of them may have had a hand in either oh, of these right. affairs, yeah. but equally, it's an interesting. Yeah, yeah, nice parallel. Yeah, 
And that's really it for Emma at that point. 10.37, she is sent or just flees into exile in Bruges, and Harold Harefoot is recognised fully as King of England. Did we do an episode on Harold Harefoot? We did. Oh. Um, now, he is also obviously very young, so it's quite likely that Elfgiva either reprises her role as regent, mm. or is at very least a very influential and powerful queen mother figure. Mm, yeah. But many historians assume that she is effectively either running the show or co-running the show. She's queen. I mean, why Basically are, queen of England. Why are people so excited about the, uh, about the Emma episode when this woman is as incredible to view it like this that she's actually not just queen consort mm. but during queen mother she ruled the country well the problem for her unfortunately that harold's reign the reason that you probably you asked did we do an episode on him yeah is very poorly documented reign and because um, it was all her also quite notably because whanst facing an invasion from hearthgunny when he finally sorts norway out mm. he falls mortally ill and dies do we know from what uh, we don't know what, but obviously Sven died young, Harold dies young, and Harthel Knut also dies young. So none of none of Knut's sons get beyond 25, I don't know. Oh, no. And there's no suggestion of murder for any of them. They all just... Yeah, so, that's so that's why, it. ultimately, um, we don't know much about Harold, and thus for her, you know, if Harold had been king for 30 years and had lots of sons and she's this grand matriarch figure that makes it all happen, perhaps she would commission a... Uh, there you go. A history of how amazing economy. she is. Yeah. But instead, Harthur Canute and Emma come over, and we don't hear anything about Elfgiver again. Oh, because the Encomium takes over, and that's the end of the story. Um, if she was still alive in 1040 when Harold died, she would almost certainly have fled to exile, possibly to her family in the north. Mm. But alternatively, she might have tried going to Denmark or... Yeah, because the whole country's being ruled by one person now. Mm. But... um. Poor woman, because the whole time I felt like my first uh, instinct in, in her situation mm. would be flee, which she seems to have to do all her life. Yeah. But actually, she was Queen of England at one point. It wasn't, yeah. it wasn't, what I mean is, it wasn't totally a Mary Queen of Scots, but there was an element of Elizabeth I as well. Yeah. <laughs> mm. And just, it's, it's that thing again, the vulnerability of the consorts and women generally, it's men dying that kind of undermines her yeah. position. She gets to a certain status, but then when the man dies, the woman's position is not protected in and of itself. It's dependent on... The next layer. Yeah. Mm, yeah. And once Harold's dead, she doesn't have anywhere else to go. Mm. So what happens? Well, as I said, we don't oh, know. Oh, we don't know, yeah. She may have died, of course, before Harold. Yeah. Um, but then you think maybe that would have been noted. Yeah, because she was of more importance than him. Yeah. But if she dies after Harold, then certainly Emma and Harthur Canute aren't going to... Yeah, it's not going to make the official history. Yeah. So somewhere there might be a Norse book that actually tells us her <laughs> the rest of her story, or a Danish book, rather. Mm. Anyway, that is it for Elfgiva of Northampton, but now it's time to review her. Mm-hmm. Well, she's a courageous woman. Oh, yes. The earliest example... Um, I think really the way we see some of her courage in uh, in action is taking Sven's body back to Denmark. Why is that courage? Oh, because she was fleeing essentially, wasn't she? she? Now Emma never mentions Elfgiver by name in the Encomium, mm. but there are a couple of times that she's clearly referred to. One is some other woman well, talking yeah. about the yeah, sons, yeah. but another one is probably when relating the return of Sven's body. In the meantime. A certain English matron, <laughs> matron had a ship prepared for her and taking the body of Sven, who had been buried in her country and having embalmed it and covered it with poles, she went to the sea and making a successful voyage arrived at the ports of the Danes, sending a messenger to the two brothers, so Harold and Canute, sons of Sven Forbid. She indicated that the body of their father was there, in order that they might hasten to receive it and place it in the tomb which he had prepared for himself. So in terms of why I think this deserves to be considered courageous, you know, she's married the son of the Viking invader. Mm-hmm. He's died. The son's popped off to Denmark and apparently left her behind. Mm. And she goes off, presumably without a massive army. I imagine a pretty mm, small yeah. retinue. Yeah. To a foreign country, she presumably doesn't know how invested in the marriage Canute is. Mm. She's really in a pretty desperate situation, and that's a massive voyage to be doing. Yeah, 
Yeah, yeah, with no, a, it's certainly with courageous. a newborn baby as well. Oh, I imagine. Um, but also that that in a book that so pointedly tried not to mention her, mm. and it's well, yeah. But the other thing I thought perhaps is it's almost actually quite astute as well in terms of tactics and diplomacy because. By doing that, bringing the father's body back, yeah. she comes over with his son, mm. with his father's body, mm. having done all that journey, perhaps that is actually quite important in tying them together. Oh, that would make a lovely scene in a film, wouldn't it? Mm. But the fact that then Canute obviously doesn't repudiate her when he marries yeah. Emma, the fact that he sends her off to Norway and all this other stuff, he obviously does trust her and value her, and perhaps by taking this risk of going to Denmark, yeah. she secures her status and future. Yeah, so that's very clever. She's sort of showing how much of a part of his life and family she is. Yeah. Mm. So it's not just fleeing, it's also... Yeah, arriving. Yeah, it's arriving, mm. yeah. The biggie, really, I think, is the fact that she becomes effectively the ruler of Norway for five yeah. years. Yeah. As you say, Canute previously tried to control Norway through vassal rulers, but then with Battle of Stiklestad in 1030... Forces loyal to him, he's not mm. there at the time, defeat Olaf Haraldsson or Olaf II of Norway, mm. who had been king from 1015 to 1028 mm-hmm. until he's overthrown by Canute. Uh, Olaf is killed, and this is when Canute thinks, Great chance for direct rule. I'm going to send my son Sven off to be mm. king of Norway. Mm-hmm. But Sven is only young, 14 or 15, so Elfgiver goes as regent. Now, when we did Sigrid the Haughty, we particularly used uh, the Heimskringler, which is a saga written mm-hmm. by Snorri Sturluson. Mm-hmm. And that is the first part of Heimskringler, where we get stuff about Sigrith. Mm-hmm. In the second part, we get to hear about Elfgiver. Oh, uh, yeah, because it's like the next part of the story, yeah. yeah so Elfgiver is in the saga. Oh, right, okay. So Heimskringler says, King Sven ruled over Norway for some years, but was a child both in age and understanding. His mother, Elfifa, had most sway in the country. How do they get the name wrong? That's the subject. Well, we saw with Sigrith how uh, oh. <laughs> all sorts of names, yeah. didn't we? So that's basically saying she's she is ruling. So she does have an encomium. The next part of the story is just taken up in Norway. She's not necessarily the hero of it, as we will see oh. in uh, other parts. But it's highly unusual for the, a woman in this period to be regent. So indicates Canute, ov- Canute, Canute obviously has a lot of trust in her. Mm. And she must have a certain force of personality. Yeah, 100%. Mm. Uh, and they do have a bit of military success. A chap called Trigv, Trigv the Pretender, who is a chap claiming to be the son of Olaf Trigvason, um, who was the one that Sigrid the Haughty gets killed after he slapped her. Yeah, how did he die? Uh, a great big naval battle with Sven Fortbid. Oh, so pleased you said battle. <laughs> <laughs> great big naval rupture. <laughs> um, so he is defeated in the Battle of Soknesund in 1033. Uh, but the biggie, really, I think, is the succession crisis. Mm, we talked yeah, about yeah. this with mm. Emma, but obviously it's Elfgiver as well. Um, and it's quite a challenge for her. She'd been exiled from Norway to Denmark when Canute died. So she not only has to get to England, but she's got to face off against Queen Emma of Normandy. God, who's got yeah. the treasury. Yeah. It's not It's not a game of kings at all at the moment. Mm, it's it's totally... Queens. Yeah, and it's these two, uh, these two women who actually have success that they can both claim to have won a knockout punch. Yeah. It's really cool. Mm. So her North Midlands link is obviously crucial. Um, Harold Hereford is probably raised there and considered as their candidate. Mm. Uh, and as you see, he immediately has their support, despite Emma and Godwin. The Anglo-Saxon Chronicle relates about the Oxford Compromise. There was a council of all the nobles, wherein Earl Leofric, who's the Elderman of Mercia, and almost all the thanes north of the Thames and the naval men in London chose Harold to be governor of all England for himself and his brother Hazekenute, who was in Denmark. Earl Godwin and all the eldest men in Wessex withstood it as long as they could, but they could do nothing against it. Emma is casting aspersions on Harold and Elfgiver. There's a war going on. It's clearly not the end. Possibly, if she came earlier, it may have been her advice to take the treasury. Mm-hmm from Emma uh, but if not she certainly takes a leading part in winning over the rest of the nobles uh, Emma and Canute's daughter uh, Gunhild was married to the heir of the Holy Roman Emperor 
Oh, yeah. And a priest at the court of the father, Emperor Conrad II, wrote to the Bishop of Worms and what he'd learnt mm. about what's happening in England. Namely, Elfgiver is organising meetings with the leading nobles and bribing them to make oaths to her and Harold. Um, and it's interesting, again, the fact that Emma is trying to pretend that she's not a significant person, mm. and yet she's obviously writing to her daughter saying, look what she's doing. <laughs> uh, and a t- tactic's clearly successful. Um, one way we can tell this is from coins. Mm. Initially, they're minted in both names, so Harold in the north, half of Canute in the south, but and the Thames is a bit more neutral. Right. Sometimes just doing Canute just to hedge their bets. Right. <laughs> just sticking the old ones on. But increasingly, you can tell... <laughs> really? The, yeah. That's very cool. As the years go on, we can see that they're more and more shifting to Harold mm. universally. So mm. by 1037, it's all Harold. And that's where Emma was so desperate that she turned to her sons and it all went wrong. Right. And she ends up being kicked out, as the Saxon Chronicle relates. In 1037, this year men chose Harold king over all and forsook Hartha Canute because he was too long in Denmark and then drove out his mother, the relict of King Canute, without any pity against the raging winter. Right, so she's gone. She's gone. So Harold Hereford is fully king, Emma sent off, and um, her status is presumably pretty high. Bishop Elfric of Elmham uh, referred to Harold as my royal lord, and elf. Well, and there is an elf giver described as my lady, mm. and lady. We've seen the Saxon period is often effectively a title used for queen. Yeah, lady of the Mercians and all that. So to be referring to elf giver as my lady is effectively mm. saying my queen. Yeah, yeah. So either she is queen mother, or is she is a sort of regent. She's probably either the power behind the throne, if not with the throne. Oh, yeah, with surely. Hmm. So she's obviously a lot more important and powerful than Emma would have liked to have us believe. God, yeah. So there's quite a lot of good stuff there, but there are some negatives. Okay. Now, there are not lots of negatives, but they're perhaps fairly significant. She's not popular in Norway mm. as regent. Uh, powerful Jarls probably are not, not very happy from the off that they've not been given control mm-hmm. and it's gone to someone else. Growing nationalism that I mentioned, cult around Olaf Haraldsson, they're increasingly very unpopular with the people. And when Magnus, the illegitimate son of Olaf Haraldsson, comes along and is encouraged to invade, there's a lot of support for him. Mm-hmm. And there's not a lot of support for Elfgiver and Sven, yeah. as the uh, saga relates. No sooner did the men of King Sven, the son of Alfifa, hear that Magnus, King Magnus Olafsson was come to the country, than they fled on all sides and concealed themselves, so that no opposition was made to King Magnus, for King Sven was in the south part of the country. Right. So Sven's army basically just has a look and thinks, ooh, no. (laughs) Right, and backs off. And backs off. So Sven doesn't have the support of an army. By the winter of 1033, Sven and Elfgiver are forced out of Trondheim. They spend 20 months in the south, but by the autumn of 1035, they're forced to flee Norway and go to Hartherkenut in Denmark. Right. I mean, that that, that shows how powerful she is in that we're counting that as her battliness. It's the, t- it's the two of them together. The two of them together. Mm. But equally, it's Canute sends them to go and rule Norway for him. Mm. And after five years, everyone hates him so much that they get kicked out and he loses Norway. Yeah, and I think a lot of that might have been following her advice. Yeah. Yeah. So she goes off to Norway and loses it. Yeah, that's not Comes good. back, causes a bit of trouble in England. Mm. And then when Harold dies, she's completely mm. out of the picture. But that's because she's run out of chips. So what do you think for a score for Elfgiver of Northampton? Well, in the same way that I sort of think of Emma and Elfgiver as uh, black and white, two sides of the same coin, mm. and when one's up, the other's down, and they're <laughs> um, exactly five, because she w- won some and she lost some, <laughs> yeah. and they both they both won big, but both lost massive. It was all five, I think. Well, what do we give, give Emma? Emma got, right? Emma got 17 and a half for battliness. But with Emma... I feel like she she is she truly does better at the Rex Factor because she is a queen of England. Mm. I don't know. I feel I'm like going for a seven with her. I think she shows a lot of courage, mm. and she fights hard just in the way that Emma did. Um, I just feel like the ma- I think I think for me the reason I'm coming down a little bit from what I may have given to Emma I think is because of the Norwegian situation. Very impressive that she gets to go and be so powerful, mm. but that does lose it. She does lose. 
And that feels like mm. Emma couldn't... Emma was in quite a difficult position with Hartlecanute being in Denmark. Mm. Whereas Elfgiver's got a son in England, it's a little bit easier. Mm. Whereas Norway, you feel like that probably was directly her failings <laughs> yeah, that led yeah, to her enough. being thrown out. So I'm sort of bringing her down a bit for that. But yeah, okay, well I'm still going along with my theory that she's the uh, Danish Emma, so I'll go up a bit and I'll go with... I'll go with six. Hmm. So that's 13 for Madeliness. Scandal. And I suppose we could put to the fact that, you know, the whole bigamy thing. But that's well, Canute, really, isn't it? Yeah, and I think it's... Uh, we've talked about this bigger ideal of a Norse Empire thing. and mm. Better, perhaps. Mm. Olaf Haraldsson. We talked about him. So he was the previous king of Norway and the one who, when he's killed in the battle in 1030, allows Canute to... Oh, yeah. Imposed yeah. direct rule. According to Snorri Sturluson, <laughs> before, <laughs> before uh, Elfgiva married Canute, she was Olaf Haraldsson's concubine. So one more time, who who is that in relation to her? The chap who Canute is fighting to be ruler of Norway. Yeah. And the one around whom a cult develops that oh. ends up to her being thrown out because everyone's like, yeah, Norway. Yeah. Apparently, according to Snorri Sturluson, was initially lover of Elfgiver of Northampton. Because apparently he would have been in England, perhaps uh, doing an invasion of England by Thorkel the Tall between 1009 and 1012. Is there anything to it, do you think? Uh, I mean, it's not impossible. Mm. Incre- incredible, this, the, the, <laughs> how this all relates to each other. I mean, literally <laughs> convenient <laughs> if you're telling us a, a grand saga. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, her notoriety in Norway is partly marked by her persistent opposition in face of mounting evidence that Olaf Haraldsson was a saint. Ah, right. Olaf Haraldsson, her ex-lover. Ah, what saintly deed did he done? So, uh, the body was uncorrupted mm-hmm. when they dug it up, as you do, but uh, she replied that people rot quite slowly in the sand. No biggie. Is that a bit that is true? They rot slower up north. The, uh, they then pointed out that his hair and beard had grown. Yeah. She said that the hair is often undamaged when buried and she'd be more impressed if it didn't burn in fire. Yeah. So they place the hair on consecrated fire and it doesn't burn. <laughs> okay, this has gone... So weird. she says, well, maybe she should try unconsecrated fire. Oh, right. But Einor Tambaskulfer told her to be silent and gave her many severe reproaches for her unbelief. After the bishop's recognition, with the king's approbation, and the decision of the thing, it was determined that King Olaf should be considered a man truly holy. When that's retold, Mm. she's the enemy, isn't she? She's Mm. the, for all the saintliness that he has, she's the baddest. That's why it's not her version of the encomium, because she's actually a... Oh, right, yeah, of course. She's a baddie rather than a heroine. And then we've got Canute. Now, we said that we don't think that, you know, it's fair to give her any scandal for bigamy because that's Canute's yep. doings rather than her own. Now, according to Emma, she wasn't really Canute's wife. <laughs> she wasn't even the mother of his sons. Oh, she's classic. just a lowly and deceptive concubine. Right. Um, effectively, she is c- deceiving Canute, and in reality, they're basically bedpan babies. Right. 1688 style. I mean, this is rubbish, isn't it? According to the encomium, And so it came to pass that certain Englishmen, forgetting the piety of their lately deceased king, preferred to dishonour their country than to ornament it, and deserted the noble sons of the excellent Queen Emma, choosing as their king one Harold, who is declared, owing to a false estimation of the matter, to be a son of a certain concubine, again, (laughs) a certain concubine, not mentioned, I know, of the above-mentioned King Canute. As a matter of fact... The assertion of very many people has it that the same Harold was secretly taken from a servant who was in childbed and put in the chamber of the concubine who was indisposed. And this can be believed as the more truthful account. I don't give that any credence at all. Well, let's turn to a more dry source of uh, Saxon history, the Anglo-Saxon Chronicle. Okay. Some men said of Harold that he was the son of King Canute and of Elfgiver, the daughter of Alderman Elfhelm, but it was thought very incredible by many men. Harold himself said that he was the son of Canute and of Elfgiver, the Hampshire lady, though it was not true. So the Anglo-Saxon Chronicle is saying 
It's not really. Wow. Now, one might assume that it's saying that because it's an author who is sympathetic to Emma. Yeah. Or indeed that Emma's propaganda against her has actually had a certain amount of yeah. success. She's spreading her sort of, you know, fake news. Yeah, yeah. Some people are... They're buying it. Wow. I definitely... I still don't. Mm. So it's stated elsewhere that the fathers of uh, the sons are a shoemaker and or a priest. I like that. They've been so specific <laughs> to try and give it some <laughs> authority. <laughs> They're just... Your dad's in Birmingham. What's he doing? It doesn't matter. <laughs> and the other thing I thought for a scandal is the succession crisis. It's a little bit treacherous, really, yeah. the way that she treats her son-in-law, or whatever he is, Arthur Canute. Yeah. I mean, he takes her in when she's kicked out of Norway. She'd have him killed if she could. And then, because he's got to deal with her mess, she then nips off back to England and steals the throne from him. Yeah, that's no good at all, actually. And she plays a little bit dirty in the succession crisis. Um, as you said, the messengers to uh, Gunhild, Emma's daughter, report rather underhand tactics. Mm-hmm. Your wretched and wicked stepmother, wishing to deprive your brother, Hartha Canute, of the kingdom by fraud, organised a great party for all our leading men, and, eager to corrupt them at times with entreaty and at times with money, tried to subordinate them with oaths to herself. And to her son. Oh. And also, you know, if she's back in 1036 taking the lead in the succession battle, bribing the nobles, is she the one that ultimately gets Godwin to turn from Emma oh. to Harold? Does she have any involvement in, in the old what happens to Alfred? Yeah. Oh, gosh. God, making those that opening salvo you talk of mm. so much more like the opening credits. Um, Wow. I'd like to believe that. I'm sort of the idea of her as a baddie is sort of is also uh, appealing. Yeah, appealing. I mean, sense. against this, um, in terms of the scandal, you know, her opposition to Olaf's saintliness is a bit of a stock role here. The bad woman casting doubt on the mm. true saint. Mm. Canute, the whole concubine, bedpan baby business. We assume yeah. that's that's Emma playing dirty yeah. with propaganda, which is very much part of the succession battle tactics. Mm-hmm. Route one hundred and one. And you could argue that the bribery, that's just part and parcel of uh, yeah. what you do. Because all the evidence is biased against her, mm. I'm sort of really inclined to dismiss an awful lot of it. It doesn't mean that none of it's true, I suppose. Mm. You know, she probably was going around bribing all the nobles. Yeah. She did sort of shaft half the canute a little bit. Oh, yeah, yeah, that was good. And um, she could have had some involvement in, in the murder. Godwin and the murder. But I reckon if she had something pro-her... Mm. There'd be more thrown at Emma. Emma, so I'm I'm happy to exactly match Emma on this one. Mm. I reckon they're they're getting punched as much as they're jabbing, <laughs> as much as they're avoiding. <laughs> what? So what did she get again? Four. Emma got four and a half in total. In total, yeah. Oh right, no, I meant I think I'll give her four and a half. Yeah, I think that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm going to give her a five. I think it's. I feel like there is some stuff there. Yeah. I think if all of this were true, we'd be looking at a. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're sort of seven or... I think that's right. Four and a half. So that's a nine and a half for Scandal. Subjectivity. She's got the trust of Canute, the fact that he sends her off to mm. Norway to be regent. He obviously trusts and views her as mm. someone that he can trust. <laughs> <laughs> and view. <laughs> but that doesn't go particularly well. Yeah. As I said, notorious for harsh rule... Um, they introduced various new laws, largely imported from Denmark, with quite severe penalties. You couldn't leave the country without the king's permission. What? Quite imposing demands at Yule, Christmas. Oh. This period is actually sort of remembered in folklore as by her name. So this is a Sigvatar, who's a skald, so skaldic poetry. Elfgiva's time, long will the young man remember, when they at home ate ox's food... And like the goats, ate rind. So this is no good for this northern uh, North Sea Empire. No. She's really uh, emphasising the divisions between the two. But so it's remembered as Elfgiva's time. Yeah. Which is kind of cool in the fact that, you know, there she is. This yeah. From Northampton and in Norway they're remembering it. On the other hand, 
it's for the wrong reason. defined period, as remember, the bad days of Elfgiva. Heimskringler, the saga, said, They very soon complained of King Sven, and his mother Alfifa got much of the blame of all that was against their desire. She had most sway in the country, and the people of the country were her great enemies, both then and ever since. Mm. She doesn't get very long as Regent Queen Mother of England, but there's not really any anything to go on there. Not at all. Mm. So actually, it's only really got bad stuff. We've only really got bad stuff. We've got the fact that Canute trusted her enough to go and do the job, but she seems to have done it quite badly. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, you could... Yeah, you, you, he might have known he was sending over a sociopath. He <laughs> <laughs> should yeah. definitely just saw this out. Yeah. Oh, dear, that's no good. God, I don't, I don't know. I think it might have to be a zero for subjectivity. Yeah. I feel like I almost need to score her positively for how bad she was then. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, zero. Mm. Longevity. She is Canute's wife mm. when he is king, mm. which is 30th of November 1016 to the 12th of November 1035, mm. so 19 years. She is the mother of Harold Harefoot when he is king from the 12th of November 1035 to the 17th of March 1040, mm. which is 4.33 years. So if we add those together, 19 years she gets in full. The time as Queen Mother we halve, so mm. 4.33 halved is 2.17. So 19 plus 2.17, 21.17. That's pretty good, isn't it? It is. That's 14 out of 20, which would be 18th best. Oh, nice. Dynasty, not the program. So she has two sons by Canute. Mm -hmm. And I I think uh, Sven does survive Canute just, so they do both count. So two children gives a score of 10 out of 20, Mm -hmm. which is joint 26th. Uh, this gives her a total score of 46.5. Very nice. Which is pretty good as a score overall. But it's not all about the score. Does she have that certain something, that lasting legacy, the great achievement that we call... Rex Factor! Regent of Norway. Mm-hmm. Possibly England as well. Yeah, I'd say yeah. Um, effectively defeated Emma of Normandy. Mm-hmm. Until her son died. Yep. And um, again, brings in all that interesting stuff. North Midlands, powerful Mercian families. Yeah. Takes us all around Canute's empire. Mm-hmm. In a way that Emma never goes to Denmark, never goes to Norway, but she... Sits in the wealthy bit. Against her. Mm. She loses Norway. Yes. She ultimately loses England when her son dies. Yeah. Yeah. And perhaps most crucially of all, she isn't actually ever... Queen Consort of England. Right. I'm going to take you on a journey with my answer here. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Is this going to take tangents into boats and planes? And it's taking quite a heavy tangent into <laughs> the world of boxing. Okay. Emma hmm. is Muhammad Ali and George Foreman. And the Rumble in the Jungle is this lady, if Emma, Efkafu, Efkafu, Efkiva. Elfgiva. Elfgiva. Right. And in the Will Smith, I've never seen it, the Will Smith movie <laughs> of uh, Ali, yeah. I imagine he beats George Foreman at the Rumble in the Jungle and then uh, retires Happy Days, Atlanta Olympics, yeah. that's it. And that's the, my, what I'm saying the encomium is, is that film. Oh, yeah, and yeah. you never yeah, see, yeah. hear the story of uh, George Foreman, mm. who does actually have his own story yeah. of incredible redemption and the oldest heavyweight champion in history in the 90s and i think that she's just such a powerful woman over this huge period and it is her sparring with emma Mm. if emma has the rex factor surely this woman deserves it as well to be able to (laughs) go toe to toe and you know (laughs) you need a suitably you need a suitably high level opponent (laughs) but it was only impressive that muhammad ali won because it's george foreman Mm. you know but it isn't the film Foreman is the film Ali. Yes. So uh, what I'm, uh, the reason it's a journey is that all the way through that in my thought process, I thought definitely she deserves it. Mm. But on that one technicality, she loses the war of the propaganda. Mm. And that's it. It's like Hulk Hogan won the belt. <laughs> but the other person goes down in history. And I suppose it was almost a little bit like the Harold Godwinson, Edmund Ironside, who mm. are two Saxon kings that we really, really liked and really impressive but didn't get the Rex Factor. Mm. And quite a lot of people 
not as much as you know Edgar the Peaceable <laughs> but quite a lot of people have got in touch and say oh they were brilliant they really should yeah. have got it Harold marching up to York defeating the Vikings coming down yeah. incredible he didn't get it but the oh. losing of the Battle of Hastings yeah. was oh, the yeah. critical thing. If he'd won the Battle of Hastings, that's mm. the thing which gets him their X Factor. So yeah. consequently, losing the Battle of Hastings is the thing which mm. doesn't get him it. And I think it's similar with Emma and Elfgiver. Emma is the one that has the encomium and is the grand figure. She wins the ultimate war. She yeah. is the X Factor winner. Elfgiver doesn't become an official consort in history. Doesn't get their X Factor for me. All the way through... Mm. I was I sort of thought you might settle <laughs> like that. I reckoned mm. you wouldn't give it to her on a on this technicality, yeah. Uh and I was looking forward to it because I was quite convinced I was going to give it to her <laughs> and it's nice when we have a split. But mm, she's a nearly. I'm glad though. I really liked your boxing analogy. My, we, my journey. Your <laughs> once journey. you got around to the end of it. But actually your point is correct. The fact that it's Emma Ali, not yeah, for yeah. an elf giver. Yeah, yeah. That indicates that the technicality is there because she ultimately lost the crucial yeah. battle against yeah. her rival. The one that defined both of their careers yeah. is the one that they lost. And if she'd won that battle, then she probably mm. would have been on the other side of the technicality and thus would get yeah. her X Factor. So the technicality reflects the defeat. Yeah, it has to. Mm. Uh, they they can't exist without each other. Yeah. And her role is the one to not get the Rex Factor. Yeah. So that is it. Elf Giver of Northampton was uh, very impressive and interesting, but does not have the Rex Factor. Very, very highly commended, though. Correspondence Corner. Let us know what you think about Elf Giver. Get in touch on Twitter and Instagram at Rex Factor Pod. Uh, the Rex Factor Podcast Facebook page and email rexfactorpodcast at hotmail.com and you can go to rexfactor.wordpress.com to read the blogs and complete the polls. Remember to send in your hashtag consort cards for this hmm. episode. Yes, please. Which should be mega. If you want to support the podcast, you can leave a review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, whatever platform you use, and subscribe. If you'd like to hear more of us and support us financially, you can donate on a monthly basis to join the Privy Chamber and get bonus content. Sit, food, play. And we've got some new Privy Councillors to welcome to the Oh, lovely. Carola Peck, or Patch, Cody Carter, from the left of Texas. (laughs) Archive Nice, Dee Nevin, Steve Ward, Maxident, son of Accidentally. Elaine Everly, Nora Eliza, and Senate. Ah, well, arise, thank you, one and all, and welcome to the Privy Chamber, which we will be recording soon. Surely after a tea break. Yeah. Uh, some messages from Privy Councillors. Lovely. Carry on madly. Says, finally, no longer a poor student anymore. Very happy to be a member of the Privy Council once again. That's super generous, thank you. Frederick. Hi. I listen to your podcast for years now. You helped me through hard times at work, my pregnancy, I had to lie down for a long time, and long hours carrying our little one. Thanks for all the fun and knowledge. Also, a big thanks for keeping up the good work. This donation is a birthday present, and I look forward to listen to all the specials. Oh, fantastic. I love the idea that uh, we um, are like the focus of some when I like if I'm doing a long car journey on holiday Mm, you think oh I remember that we were listening (laughs) to that all the way down and you can sort of frame us in that Mm. period of life it's nice Jess says hi Ali and Graham I've been listening since you were reviewing the Scottish Monarchs I moved to Bristol from Hong Kong so I learned a lot about English history through this podcast keep the good work so some uh, messages from listeners. Uh, Chloe Jardineau-Minard has uh, quite a, a, a timely one for us on the subject of concubines, oh, which I think was a term which has been used for Elfgiver. Yes. Hello. First of all, I'm so happy that I became a member of the Privy Council. I refuse any other mug for tea. Only the best <laughs> will do. I'm catching up on the Saxon consorts and the word concubine keeps popping up. I live in France and have done for 10 years now, and in the French language, a concubin, masculine, or concubine, feminine is a word that's still used a lot today simply meaning someone that lives with someone else without being married since the liberation of france it even became a legal status to some extent giving solid yet unmarried couples certain legal rights after death that's brilliant again quite an interesting way of looking at elf giver situation oh right yeah not fully christian marriage but just busy mate there's a record well there's a recognition that this is a legitimate yeah. relationship that has a certain officialness i do love the french and we've got another consort limerick from Louise Bridgerton. Oh, I blooming love these. We read out Elswith one in mm. a previous episode, and then we did them all in the Privy Chamber for the rest, if you want oh, to hear them. Oh, you, you've got to hear them. They are <laughs> absolutely brilliant. Uh, anyway, this is for Sigrith. Though Sigrith and he were related, 
Harold thought he'd get rich if they dated. She just couldn't stand how he asked for her hand, so she had the poor chap immolated. <laughs> it's real talent. I know um, whenever you... This de- definitely shows my level, because whenever you mention <laughs> Shakespeare or something, I sort of sink back into my chair and glaze over a bit. <laughs> but oh, limericks. limericks like there once was a man from Calcutta. <laughs> <laughs> I actually sit up and get excited about it. Oh, sorry, civilization. So anyway, Louise, thank you very much. Keep, please do keep please coming, do. because by... Entirely your own efforts, Ali is now remembering. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's never. She's the only person in the world <laughs> where it's working. Anyway, that's it for Elf Giver of Northampton. She did not have the Rex Factor. Next time, we will be doing Edith of Wessex, consort of Edward the Confessor. There are no other <laughs> sort of consorts yeah. that I'm going to find. Next time, Edith of Wessex. But until then, it's goodbye for me. Cheerio.